you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. However, in this bonus episode series, I'm reviewing Monkey Paw Productions' Twilight Zone reboot on CBS All Access, hosted by Jordan Peele. You can find more of Anthology, as well as full episode art archives at anthologypod.com and if you want to contact me you can use the facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod tweet me at ov anthologypod or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com so today on the show, I'll be discussing Point of Origin. It's the eighth episode of The Twilight Zone's first season, and it premiered on May 16th, 2019 on CBS All Access. But before that, I have some notes from previous episodes and some just general notes to go through. So uh, first up, I got some merch um, <laughs> from the show, uh, or I purchased a mug, is what I should say. Uh, so CBS... Um, their website has some merchandise that you can buy. And I went ahead and bought a coffee mug that just has the Twilight Zone with the spiral and, and a couple other um, props kind of scattered throughout it. Um, it looks cool. I don't know. I haven't drank out of it yet. So that remains to be seen how, how it'll hold up to coffee and tea and whatnot. But I'm excited. I'm excited about it nonetheless. Um, let's see. So I do have a note from last, the last bonus episode on Not All Men. Um, so I referenced that the Dr. Romero reference at the, at the beginning is likely a reference to George Romero. Um, but I was listening to Consequence of Sounds, uh, the Fifth Dimension podcast, and they brought up that it's they they had the same thought obviously because you, you would think yeah, it's a pretty easy guess to be that it would be a George Romero reference, but they said that it's uh, likely not a Living Dead reference or Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, whatever um, reference reference, but it's more likely a nod to The Crazies, which was a movie that George Romero made um, <clears throat> that was remade in I think the mid two thousands. I want to say maybe Timothy Oliphant was in it, but anyway. Um, the plot summary for the crazies is the military attempts to contain a man-made combat virus that causes death and permanent insanity in those infected as it overtakes a small Pennsylvania town. Um, I really need to watch that movie, um, <laughs> because it sounds right up my alley, but yeah, so that's an in interesting connection that I didn't make. So thank you to consequence of sounds, uh, the fifth dimension podcast. And I also listened to uh, an episode of the Writers Panel podcast with Ben Blacker. Uh, that episode featured the uh, some of the Twilight Zone writers, uh, including Heather Ann Campbell, Alex Rubens, and Glenn Morgan. And in that episode, since I'm already kind of hovering around uh, Not All Men, uh, that 
script, kind of some information that I gleaned from the podcast was that uh, one of the early scripts of Not All Men was titled uh, The Name of the... uh, Heather Ann Campbell said that it was just titled The Name of the Town so that people wouldn't know what what they were getting into when they watched it. So I kind of just imagine that if, unless they changed the name of the town throughout the process, that it was titled Newberry. And she did say that there was a version of the script that was just called Male Zombies, um, which obviously that was never going to be the uh, final title, but that's kind of funny. Um, some other stuff that I got from the podcast, which I really recommend because it's a, it's a really fun um, interview that they can, that they do. But some other things I got was that there was a, there was a writer's room at the start of the production, but once episodes got kind of worked out and assigned, it apparently kind of, I don't want to say it dissolved, but from the sound of it, it just sounded like the writers kind of went, went, their own way and outside of uh, outside of the room, and uh, they did say that they imagine that season two uh, at the t- at the time of the interview they hadn't been renewed yet, so they were saying like if there is a season two, which now we know there is a season two, um, they said that it'll probably be more ordered and organized. Uh, they went into some kind of comparisons to Black Mirror and stuff, so it's interesting stuff there. But I do want to highlight um, <laughs> uh, Alex Rubens, who he wrote uh, Blurry Man and um, The Comedian. And he he was talking about the criticism about The Comedian. And I was just like so – like I, I was so happy to hear him talk about it. Uh, he was talking about how – like he, he mentioned – he talked about the whole for, uh, um, Second Amendment stuff and everything. He kind of talks about whether or not he would um, do stuff differently if he um, if he could, knowing the feedback that uh, the episode got. But one thing that he said that he said, uh, and I don't have the direct quote. I'm obviously not going to pull audio from another podcast. That's you know not cool. Uh, so check it out. But he said something to the effect of the one criticism that he absolutely can't stand is the criticism about how the comedian, the, the stand up comedy in the comedian wasn't funny. And that's something I've been, I, I've been, um, uh, I, I've, I've been very vocal about how that criticism doesn't work for me either. But he said that, uh, he made the comparison that it's similar to like, okay, it's like seeing, it's like watching Jaws and saying like, Hey, that, that shark ate people. Or he, like the one comparison that I really liked was he was like, it's like, it's like watching Groundhog Day and saying like, Oh, so there was just one day. Like they couldn't write other days. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was really, it was really good. And it kind of pinpointed exactly what I didn't like about the criticism for that episode. So it's cool to see that, uh, the writer, of the episode um, reflected my feelings on it. Um, so yeah. So, and obviously I had a much bigger stake in the criticism for the comedian than Alex Rubens did as the writer of the episode. <laughs> uh, but no, seeing, seeing his, uh, hearing his reaction was, was pretty cool. It was, it was a very, it was a very interesting um, kind of down to earth moment. Like seeing like the person who, who helped create something uh, talking about the creative process and about the um, criticism surrounding it was uh, refreshing because it wasn't like just a PR kind of thing like um, or like a, yeah, a PR kind of move. So in that episode of the writer's panel, um, Heather Ann Campbell had some stuff to say as well. She wrote Not All Men, uh, co-wrote with 
uh, and she co-wrote this. Uh, she co-wrote Six Degrees of Freedom with Glenn Morgan. But she mentioned first of all, I, I really like the way that she talked about um, the allure of writing for the Twilight Zone. She likened it to being like a like having a toy box that has a bunch of toys that you can play with, and you can play with them in any context you want, and it can it can still work out because it still fits within the twilight zone. So I just, I really like that analogy and stuff. And the, and she said it in a lot in a, in a much better way, but she did say she did have one quote about not all men that I wanted to, um, point out here, or I wanted to recite, I guess here. So she said, I hope that the feeling that not all men have evokes, isn't that all men are terrifying monsters rather that to be a woman like, uh, when I was walking up to this podcast, I got a mint out of my bag and a guy said, don't eat too many of those. You don't know what you'll, what, uh, that'll do to you. There is a constant navigation for your physical space as a woman. That's just sort of, uh, that's built from childhood. Uh, you're always told that's how it's going to be. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting and unique. And one of the biggest strengths of Not All Men, which is an episode that obviously I am on record as having kind of mixed feelings about um, in, in in the end. But there are moments or there are portions of that episode that are just so beautifully written, perfect, like uh, perfect empathy machine, I would say, for for people watching it from a different perspective. So like as a man watching it, like it put me into the position of a woman and what it, what some of the, uh, more tense situations women, uh, find themselves in just because of our society. So, uh, final thing about the podcast is that she also said that she was inspired by the last scene in get out. Um, when writing the episode, the last scene in Get Out being the police car coming up um, on a very interesting moment um, and how it kind of subverted uh, expectations and stuff. So anyway, check out that podcast. It's the Writer's Panel Podcast with Ben, uh, with ben Blacker. Um, yeah, so check that out. Uh, also, just quick shout out to my other podcast, Obsessive Viewer. I recently had uh, one of my one of my co-hosts over there, uh, Kirsten, and I, uh, what we do is we kind of sit down and watch stuff and then talk about them. Uh, we'll usually go see a movie or watch, uh, TV or whatever and then record about it. So she, I, I kind of subjected her to not all men, um, to get her read on it. Um, I think I mentioned it in the last episode that I would, I was thinking about doing that. So check that out. Um, obsessiveviewer.com slash OV284. I believe it's 284. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, obsessiveviewer.com slash OV284. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, check that out. Uh, it was a fun conversation. Finally, finally, uh, last piece of, uh, news and feedback and everything is I got a very nice message from, uh, listener Glenn on Facebook, on the Facebook page. Um, he says, I'm definitely curious to hear your thoughts on the remaining TZ 2019 episodes. While I have, while I have been enjoying them more or less, I have found that the series is a little hit and miss. I imagine you will have your work cut out for you with the new Black Mirror having dropped in the last day or so. I ended up watching them last night, and you couldn't get a more diverse selection of stories. All the best, and keep up the fab work. So thank you so much, Glenn, for for uh, the kind words and everything. And yeah, uh, I'm very eager to <laughs> uh, do my Black Mirror bonus review series, and I'm going to get those out very quickly um, after I get... 
uh, these the rest of these Twilight Zone episodes um, done. And also an update on the possibility of Tiny coming on the show to talk about the Twilight Zone as a wrap-up episode. Um, I think that there's a pretty good chance. He's actually been watching the episodes. We've had some good conversations about it. So I'm eager to, you know, have someone on the podcast to uh, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> instead of me just talking to you guys. Uh, and then final, final thing. I don't know if I mentioned this or not, and it's a stupid joke, but um, at my day job, we had the uh, interns for the summer start. Um, just like keep, I keep getting in my head about this. I think I probably talked about it, but um, I ran into my friend Kirsten, because she works at the same place. She works in HR, uh, giving a tour of, the the building to the interns when they started and afterward i texted her and was like hey um if you want to go ahead and give me the names of everyone uh that you had on your tour i'm sure that as soon as i left the elevator that they were asking if that was the matt hurt from you know podcasting um so uh and she just called me an idiot but um it's so, like my thought was that like yeah uh I, uh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to articulate it, but basically, it's just funny to think that um, I I did tweet this too, but I was just like, yeah, because there's nothing that college kids like more than uh, obviously ob- uh, I'll say obviously all of the interns at my at my uh, workplace are huge fans of anthology because there's nothing that college students love more than to listen to a guy in his 30s talk to himself about a 60 year old science fiction TV show. Um, so yeah, that's, I just wanted to share that because I was, I think pops up in my head anytime, like I talk to the interns or anything at work because it's, it's silly. So, okay. Um, let's get into point of origin, guys. Uh, it's midnight. I peeked behind the curtain. I, uh, worked long hours the last two days. Um, actually it ties into this podcast because I took the day off work Wednesday to actually watch Black Mirror. Um, good batch of episodes. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, do my reviews of them. Really loved Striking Vipers. Um, very excited to talk about that one. But, um, the, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've, I've worked extra to make up for the time I, I missed without taking PTO. So, uh, I came home from work, took a nap, and now it is midnight and I am ready to record. So, all right, let's enough preamble. Point of origin, episode eight, season one, Twilight Zone 2019. Plot summary, according to, I think this is from CBS All Access, a suburban housewife wants to go home, but where and what is home really? Uh, this episode stars Jennifer Goodwin as Eve Martin. She's known for her roles in Big Love and, um, she also, she was also in Walk the Line. But two things I want to highlight from her, uh, filmography is she's in the movie Take Me Home Tonight, which is a super fun, um, kind of one night teen, 20 something coming of age. It, not teen, definitely not teenager. It's a big, better, uh, it, it's really good. It's got Topher Grace in the eighties. Um, Chris Pratt, Anna Ferris, a bunch of people. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, so it's called Take Me Home Tonight. Check that out. She is also in, she's just, or she, she's also in He's Just Not That Into You, which is one of my, one of my go-to like rom-coms. It's, I mean, it's not that good. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say like, oh, it's a guilty pleasure because I don't feel guilty actually liking it, but it's, it's fun. It's a, it's a good movie. Um, co-starring as William Martin is Toby Levins. He was in one episode of iZombie, uh, two episodes of Altered Car- Carbon, and he was in a bunch of Hallmark movies. So 
Cool. Um, as Anna Fuentes is Zabrina Guevara. Uh, she has appeared in Tell Me a Story on CBS All Access, two episodes of Snowfall, which has uh, Damson, uh, Damson Idris, uh, three episodes of Castle Rock, and she's probably best known for uh, t- appearing in 24 episodes of Gotham. And as Mr. Allendale, who isn't actually given a name in the episode, um, is James Frain. Uh, he plays Sarek in Star Trek Discovery, also on CBS All Access. Uh, he was in eight episodes of Orphan Black, 22 episodes of Gotham, where he played Asriel, which I thought that was interesting. I've, I haven't seen Gotham. I kind of, I gave it the pilot episode and just couldn't get into it or wasn't really that intrigued by it. Even though I love Batman, um, so maybe I'll check it out down the road now that it's it has ended or is about to end. I don't know. But anyway, he's in 22 episodes as Azrael in Gotham. And he was also in seven episodes of True Detective Season 2, the much maligned Season 2. Um, yeah. So that is James Frain. And rounding out the cast is Michael Eklund as Otto. He appeared recently in the movie Cold Pursuit with uh, uh, Liam Neeson. And he has appeared in 19 episodes of Winona Earp on Sci-Fi, three episodes of Altered Carbon, 14 episodes of Dirk uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And the thing that I know him from is he appeared in eight episodes of Bates Motel. If I remember correctly, he played like a kind of a... um, a drug lord kind of guy in the town. Um, I, again, that's another show I need to go back and revisit it because I only watched the first two, uh, two seasons. But Bates Motel is a really intriguing concept. I need to go back and revisit it. Writer for this episode was John Griffin. And interestingly enough, this is his only writing credit um, on IMDb. So I don't really have much information about him. But that's uh, I thought that was interesting. And it's especially like um, the writer of Replay, I think, has has had only a little bit of uh writing credits on imdb and i kind of like that about this about this show that it kind of has it brings a unique voice to uh to the series i think and director for this episode was matthias herndl uh he directed one episode of wayward pines in 2016 and a two-part episode of the order which i think is on netflix and uh, it's worth mentioning he is a very notable cinematographer. Um, he uh, did. The, he was a director of f- uh, photography on Motive, on, on I think a TV show called Motive, uh, Wayward Pines, Legends, and also 15 episodes of Flashpoint, which I think I mentioned in the last episode of the podcast. Um, I'm going through and watching with my one of my recurring co-hosts on obsessive viewer kirsten uh it's one of her favorite shows and lost is one of my favorite shows so i'm showing her lost she's showing me flashpoint we call it lost point anyway check that out on obsessive viewer and uh also uh matthias herndl is also cinematographer on six episodes of this iteration of the twilight zone so that's interesting that they're kind of uh dipping dipping their toes and directing as well all right, so let's get into my review of Point of Origin. Um, my initial thoughts on this episode before I started like making my notes and everything is that this one was kind of weird. Um, it's another social topic episode, this one dealing with immigration and xenophobia. But kind of similar to Not All Men, I don't think the episode quite landed the social commentary, and I think the episode overall suffered for it. 
Also, I was really hoping that it was a that it would turn out to be a robot episode. Like I was really hoping that Eve would be a robot or a robot. Um, so I was kind of disappointed there. Like that, I kind of <laughs> as a small tangent. I just I really hope that we get like a robot episode next next season because that's one thing that was kind of missing from this uh, season of the Twilight Zone. So. Uh, to get into my actual review, uh, of course, I'm going to be spoiling everything um, about this episode. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out on CBS All Access and then come back and listen to my review. So spoiler warnings out of the way. Uh, let's dive in. So the opening shot of the ice cream truck playing the melody for This Land is My Land is a really nice touch. Um, I didn't notice the melody in on my first viewing like at all. And I just, I just thought that that was kind of, kind of clever, um, in the way it kind of recurs later in the episode. And I didn't notice it, or I didn't notice the name on the truck. It's, it's, well, I don't think I was supposed to at this point, but it's not really, cause it's not really visible there, but it's a cool Easter egg that I'll get to later. Um, so we get Eve is established, Jennifer Goodwin. She is a super rich white lady, uh, and has no sense of self-awareness. And as Peel mentions in his opening narration, she lives a life of privilege. And it's evident in this opening scene, she's walking around this palatial estate and, um, or like her, like very nice house, um, or like trying to organize, uh, or I wouldn't even say she's organizing a party. She is telling organizers of a party how she wants it to be organized and I think she even says that she wants to, um, she doesn't want to do any of the work or anything. And that's kind of a, a running theme through her arc through this episode. So, um, yeah. Uh, and also kind of going back to the ice cream, th- I have this in my notes out of order, but I don't really think I get the ice cream truck thing. Like, I guess it's a front for the government people, I assume. Um, Oh, that's why, because after the scene of her introducing, uh, like organizing the party, uh, we get another shot of the ice cream truck. And here is where we get just a glimpse of, uh, the brand name of Mr. Dingles. But I don't really get the ice cream truck thing. Like, it's kind of, uh, kind of bizarre. Uh, I, I guess is, I, I don't know. It's a front for the government people, I guess. Um, so I don't know. It, it's not that big of a problem. So, after that, we get a scene of Eve just staring out the window with her eyes, like, kind of glowing blue. And when uh, Anna comes in and asks for a favor, um, after she gets Eve's attention, she's uh, Eve just says that she was in another world there. And this is where I was really hoping that she was a robot. <laughs> um, that's just what, like I said, it's just what the season was missing. But I kind of got the impression that this could have been it, maybe it could have been a more interesting episode if she was a robot because talking about like point, like the, even the title point of origin just feels like kind of a, ro- uh, a term for like a robotic, uh, entity or something. So I don't know, but it, that's not what we got. It's an alternate dimension thing. So fine. Um, so in this scene, Anna asks if her grandson can use Eve's address to get into Matheson charter school, um, which is another Richard Matheson reference for the season. And so I really like this scene as an establishment of the, the, uh, I guess the dynamics 
of the family and Anna. Um, cause like by asking if she can use their address, um, so that her grandson can go to this prestigious school, she's upsetting the status quo and she's subtly challenging, uh, Eve's phony, you're part of our family thing. <laughs> it's a really interesting scene because you can kind of see, and out, credit goes to the actresses in the scene, but, um, you can really see the wheels turning in Eve's mind as she's, like she wants to keep that like i think she she her underlying kind of mode is that she feels like okay there is a complete um <laughs> the whether she wants to admit it or not there is a hierarchy in their dynamic and while she is trying so hard to uh to fake being uh, to to fake to fake the fact that Anna is a part of the family and everything um, because she just wants to keep her employee happy, I would say. Um, that challenge of of Anna upsetting the status quo is something that kind of really um, takes Eve um, uh, off her guard, I guess. So it's an interesting scene that's done a lot better than I just described it um, in a very awkward way. So at that point, like it's the episode is kind of um, propelled forward by the fact that the uh, kind of faceless or not faceless, but the um, nameless government entity uh, take Anna away. So and like they don't identify themselves or show credentials or anything. I thought that was interesting. And that's the same thing that happens later in the episode. I don't know if that was just something for them to for the show to kind of avoid any kind of, uh, I don't know, avoid anything, but I would assume it's like ice or whatever. But at this point we get our first 1015 reference as well. One of the agents, uh, says like, we've got a 1015 or she's a code 1015 or something like that. Um, and then immediately after that, we get another really, um, really strong, but just maddening scene. So Eve is sitting at a table with, with all of her friends and she's embellishing the story of Anna's, um, not abduction, but her arrest. So she says like, Oh, they had their guns out. And I said, you cannot come into our house and do this. <laughs> and she claims to, she even claims to her friends that like, Anna's a part of the family. And it's just, it's so phony and so aggravating and so maddening, like I said. Um, and at this point, her friends, um, chime in and they all but say that Anna deserved it for being an illegal immigrant. And it's, uh, it's just an interesting, um, establishment of the status quo in our, like a reflection of the status, status quo in our world, real world as well. Um, cause this is how people talk about immigrants in our society, legal or illegal. It's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of a compelling setup for an episode. And, I just, I, I find it really interesting just the way that the kind of phoniness of the, of the, uh, more affluent characters, um, is just really, really well done. Um, so Eve says that they can't find Anna and, um, they've hired lawyers and they've tried to, they've tried to find her. And then she does this really melodramatic, 
really melodramatic line where she's like, I just can't believe this is happening to her. And it's just so like, I like here, I, I think Jennifer, Jennifer Goodwin does a really good job in this episode overall, just showing, showcasing Eve's complete detachment from reality and consequence even because she's rich, white and impervious to any kind of law enforcement. Um, she has this sense of entitlement or this, this kind of aura of, entitlement and privilege um that is so well done um through jennifer goodwin's performance i really enjoyed her performance in this episode and contrast that by with anna who's been living with this kind of uh in from the perspective of eve and her her peers anna has been living with this ticking time bomb of like immigration coming to, to to take her away um it's just an interesting dynamic to present uh, for the episode. Um, whether or not they really carry that through is something that I'll get to later. But, um, right now at the establishment of it, it's, it's a pretty strong way to establish it. So the other women start talking about their nannies and housemaids or servants, whatever you want to call them. Um, actually I'll go ahead and play a clip. (laughs) Um, here's a clip of the women, um, talking about the struggles of, being white with uh, nannies. The thing is, too, is that the next person you find is just going to have the same problems. Right? Lucy came to us and wanted health insurance, and we're like, do you watch the news? Legal Americans can't get health insurance. I know. Leet wanted to pay taxes. I said, if you want to be a real American, you try to get out of paying taxes. Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) They just don't know how things like that are not helping them. Mm could expose us and them. So in this kind of run of uh, a scene, really, I, I really like that this is showcasing this kind of dehumanizing viewpoint. Like these women are speaking about human beings, but they boil them down to illegals instead of individuals. And like, that's, that's a really cool thing that'll be reversed later when Eve is herself dehumanized. Um, I just really enjoyed kind of that. But it ends on kind of a weird line um, where one of them says they could expose us and them, um, which I feel like didn't it. I didn't connect with it or I didn't I didn't really get it. Um, like I thought for a second, like maybe they were just referring to like tax evasion because they referenced not paying, trying to get out of paying taxes. But it almost seems like the it's almost it's it almost seems like they're trying to like point to the fact that like all of the all of the affluent people are from another dimension and that they're aware of it which doesn't mesh with the ending of the episode so i i I don't know it's kind of it's kind of bizarre i didn't really get it i don't know if i was reading too much into it or, or what but i don't know anyway um after that eve has a nightmare of gray skies and i just want to say that and i'll say this later i'm sure as well but uh these quick shots of the alternate dimension with the gray skies and everything is just are just really beautiful like really well composed shots and um it's the honestly it's the one time uh, i don't know if i wouldn't i don't know if i want to commit to saying it's the one time of the entire season but it's one of the few times in the season where the show has done something and kind of just let it be and not over didn't over overexert it or overdo it um and i really appreciate it for that so cut to the next morning and we get a couple of cool Easter eggs. So, um, so there's this dollhouse. 
um, that it says Paris 1889 on the window. And I did not notice this until I was making my notes and I just happened to uh, pause the frame at, at this point. But there is this supremely creepy face that's peeking out of the curtain in the, in the dollhouse. Like it is, it's terrifying. Like it's, it's absolutely creepy as hell. Um, and I think it's a reference to an original series episode, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, whatever episode it is that I'm thinking of, I think the Simpsons parodied it in one of their Treehouse of Horror episodes where, um, it's the one, one of the early ones where Homer is using the toaster. Or Homer accidentally starts traveling through time with a toaster. Um, so when he, he keeps going back and forth and when he comes back, it's the world has changed in some way. So when he comes back at one point in, in the segment, um, he sees like he looks up and he sees that there's a gigantic Bart and Lisa standing over the house. And Bart says like that bug looks like dad. I think that that's a reference to a, uh, an original series twilight zone episode. Actually, I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure that that is because, uh, actually it's a funny story. When the new season of the twilight zone was starting, they did the, those little, um, those little featurettes or, or videos that they released throughout uh, the lead up to it. And after each episode also where they had like cast talking about the twilight zone and what it's like to work on it and everything. And someone like there was one segment where they talked about their favorite episodes from the original series. And one person said basically that episode that, that, that the Simpsons was um, parodying. Um, and I, <laughs> I don't remember the title of the episode because I wanted to push it away from my mind because I want to be surprised by that when I get to that episode for the podcast. So please do not correct me or anything, but I think that that, the face in the dollhouse window was a reference to, uh, whatever episode that is that I'll eventually cover on the podcast. Um, looking forward to that because that's such a creepy, uh, idea, but man, just, ah, uh, I, like I tweeted a picture of this, of this frame, of the face in the window. It's, it's haunting. It's legitimately creepy. And it's just cool that it's just like, I mean, it's a blink and you'll miss it. Uh, thing. Uh, the next Easter egg we got was a, <laughs> uh, um, a shot of the cereal box that says it's, uh, the, the name of the cereal is frosted can munch. Uh, and it says nutritious, delicious, or, uh, nutritious chocolatey cereal to serve humans. And, uh, <laughs> I thought that was pretty, that's, that's pretty clever. It's cute. It's very cute. Um, cause it's a reference to, uh, to serve man in season three that I'll get to sooner rather than later. Um, also this is a good point to mention that I have neglected to mention that throughout the season, the beer brand has been Canimet Lager. Um, Kenement, I think, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, which is a reference to, to serve man as well. Final potential Easter egg is there's a milk carton that is kind of prominently shown for like a few seconds. Um, it has a drawing of a boy on it, but I don't recognize it as anything. Like it could be an original series, um, callback or Easter egg, but I just, I don't know what the connection is. I just, it's, I feel like, I feel like it's worth mentioning here just because the show kind of made it kind of prominently displayed for at least a few seconds. So at breakfast, one of the girls asks if they can have plantains for breakfast because that's what they have in Guatemala. And like, I feel like that demonstrates 
how much closer the girls are to Anna than they are to their parents. And I think there, maybe there's a, um, uh, maybe there's a bigger statement to be made about it, about it being like these, you know, young white girls are being, uh, introduced to, um, another culture. And it's, I mean, they're, per- they're taking to it well, um, without, you know, it ending <laughs> the entire world. Um, but I don't know. I could be stretching there, but I just, I thought that it was an interesting way to showcase how much closer the girls are to Anna than they are to their parents. And William tells them that, Anna went back to Guatemala to visit her family, to which one of them says, but we're her family. And I like that Eve deflects that and says, uh, she talks about how, like, since they have, I think she says, since they have the new parents, uh, dinner coming up that tonight dinner will be Grubhub. And I thought that was kind of funny because, uh, she doesn't know how to cook or function without Anna. So they're going to order out, I think at least because, so this is, I don't know, unless Grubhub means something else in this context, I just took it to mean that they're going to order out. Yet, it's kind of confusing because, like, immediately after that, she's going grocery shopping. Um, and I, I don't know, I just thought that was kind of weird. So anyway, she takes the girls to the grocery store. Clearly, she doesn't, she's out of her element because she doesn't do this because she has an Anna. Um, so she takes up two spots in her giant SUV and that showcases more of Eve's kind of lack of self-awareness and her overall privilege and everything. And I don't know, it, that's a bit on the nose because I don't know, it, it, it just, it feels a little bit much, but Jennifer Goodwin really sells it well. Um, cause she kind of justifies it like, well, I'm not going to be here long. It's going to be fine. Um, so they pass by Otto, who's the guy that's playing the guitar and, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't really connect with me. Um, auto uh, reappears later, but I just, I don't know. It just feels kind of out of, not out of place, but it just feels like it doesn't really fit for me. Um, so when they're at the checkout, the girls ask for ice cream and Eve says, ice cream is bad. And I thought that was a funny bit of foreshadowing considering the ice cream truck. Um, so I, kind of tip my hat to to the writers on this episode because that was that was pretty clever and cool even though the ice cream thing doesn't really make sense to me oh i think i just connected anyway um i'll get to that later but um yeah i just i i thought that was an interesting kind of bit of foreshadowing so eve has trouble at the checkout counter at the grocery store (laughs) and she gets agitated and entitled uh despite being in the wrong to an extent um and I, I like this be, I like this for a couple of reasons. One is that she does the whole, I'll take my business elsewhere shtick. And like, I just like, I like Jennifer Goodwin's performance here because she is just so, um, she's so entitled. <laughs> and she's so entitled and she's so melodramatic. Um, that like she, and she's kind of getting, to a breaking point to, to an extent. So like she says, like she leans in and almost whispers to the, to the cashier, like that she, uh, she can take her goddamn groceries. Um, and it's so melodramatic, but it's like, it's like she's being melodramatic, but she wants to maintain this air of affluence and entitlement she has that's surrounding her. So in order to do that, she has to whisper that, (laughs) uh, I just, I thought that was a really interesting, um, scene. So she leaves and there's a note on her window that says, your car takes up two parking spaces. You must be so much better than me. 
And man, I love that. Like, if I could get that like on a sticker that I could just put on the windows of people that don't know how to freaking park, um, I would do that completely because that is so aggravating to me. Um, and I really, I really liked that element of it. And it also, you know, is another situation where Eve is being confronted by her entitlement and her privilege that she has been living comfortably with, uh, for her entire adult life, presumably. So at this point, (laughs) they're surrounded by, uh, government types and SUVs, like men in black people, uh, or men in black suits and women in black suits. Um, so one of the girls says, mom, just pay for the groceries. And I thought that was, that was so sweet. Like, I just, I like that as not necessarily like comic relief, but I just thought, I thought that was an interesting, interesting, uh, line. And like, it was really sweet and kind of cute, but it also is just like, I, I think that there could be actually a deeper kind of, um, read on that because throughout the episode, like William and Eve, they, they don't, they, they just assume they can never be wrong about anything or they can never be in the wrong about anything because they're upstanding citizens who have tons of money that they can just like pay for anything. Um, so clearly they're in their eyes, they're good people, good law abiding people. They could never imagine being outside of the law or like not, you know, being, like they can never imagine being at the mercy of law enforcement or um you know the government and it's just funny because like the girls saying like mom just pay for the groceries is just like they don't understand and i mean i granted at this point there's no reason like there's no there's no other reason for them to be you know uh surrounded by um government people talking about national security and everything but it's just funny that like they just assume that like, okay, the one thing that could be potentially taken to, to being like a, uh, an illegal thing is just like, they left a bunch of groceries at the checkout. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it, it speaks to this family's lack of consequence or like lack of being at the mercy, like I said, at the mercy of government, government people, because like anyone else, I, and from my perspective, I'd be like, oh my god, like what what happened? What's going on? Like what am I I wouldn't immediately go to like what did I do wrong or whatever, but like it's just it it's just like what why what's causing this to come down on me? as opposed to being like, okay, well, um clearly you have the wrong person or or the wrong something. It's just it's an interesting kind of disconnect between I guess classes and and society, I guess, because they're just entitled and they don't, uh, like the way that the more affluent characters in this episode are being depicted, I should say, is that they are just free of kind of consequence or, um, you know, uh, yeah, consequence, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's a stretch, but anyway, we get Peel's opening narration, which comes as uh, the camera focuses off of the uh, back window of the SUV that has the little stick figures things, which those stick figure things annoy me anyway, but I've made my peace with it. I don't really care. So here's Peel's opening narration for Point of Origin. Meet Eve Martin, loving mother, devoted wife, active in her community. Eve was raised to view the world from a bubble of comfort, safety, and privilege. 
that that bubble is about to burst. And when it does, she will find herself within the strange and unfamiliar borders of the Twilight Zone. Okay, and I'm not going to harp on it, but we get another Meet Eve Martin thing, and it's just, you know, whatever. I do like the content of the actual opening narrations. I just think that there should be some variety with the introduction of them. So, anyway, after the opening theme music, we get Eve in a crowded facility, and it's very it's it's filled with people surrounding her and i like the way that the that the show depicts them because they're all nondescript out of focus extras essentially like no one is no one is like pulling attention away from eve in this moment it's just very much like eve is very much in a place that she is unfamiliar with uncomfortable in and completely inexperienced in dealing with and i just really like the way it's visually depicted in this opening um uh, scene after the credits. So she meets up with William and they hug and everything. And like, this is one of the things that I found really interesting is that the kids have been separated from them. And I think that that's a, um, you know, I would say a very tame reference to the, uh, families being separated at the border controversy, crime, that's uh, that's happening and on i think it's ongoing i don't know but um that's happened that's been in the news recently um because that's just if god if you see that on the news it's like it's it's horrifying it's absolutely horrifying and criminal and just terrible and dehumanizing and everything um and to be honest i feel like this uh episode could have hit that a lot harder um and, you know, I've I've been on record talking about how the show kind of hits us over the head with its um, with its allegories and its its references and stuff. Um, and it's all always to to no real effect with us. But I think that they could have hit this really hard and, and made it more about the family being separated and kind of just using that as an allegory for for what's going on in our modern age or modern day. Um, so I don't know, but, but I think it's an interesting reference point, um, the way it's depicted in any case. So even William are kind of comparing notes and, uh, again, I, I really find it interesting that there's no like government entity or government body that's, that's identified in this episode. Like when, when the people surround the SUV and take Eve, um, they like they don't identify themselves as the, as government officials they don't have any kind of um identification or anything um it's just it's a weird i don't know it's kind of weird um but i don't know anyway so eve mentions that her credit cards were declined and william instantly thinks that that's the answer they're simply victims of identity theft and there's been a big miscommunication um and it's going to be something that the kids will laugh about later so then, um, like, I think immediately after that, Eve tells him that she told Anna that she could use their address for Matheson Charter School. <laughs> and, okay, this is hilarious to me because it reinforces just how out of touch with reality Eve is. Like, um, it's just, it's so, it's comical to me. It's so funny because, like, she legitimately thinks that her allowing her, uh, 
housekeeper or nanny, whatever the whatever the word is, uh, to use their address to get their grandchild into a school is enough to get them um, forcibly taken away <laughs> in into custody with her children as well, separated from her children just because she told Anna that she's allowed to use their address for. <laughs> to get her grandson into school. Um, I just, I, I thought that that was really funny and an interesting way to show to reinforce how out of touch she is with reality. And also William kind of just assuming that, okay, the reason that they're there is because of identity theft. And like, it's just immediately like, okay, well, you know, we're in the bowels of a government agency. Um, but obviously we've done nothing wrong. It's it's just an interesting kind of uh, showcase of, of people who just aren't uh, – they don't have a reason to be afraid of law enforcement, government, government uh, structures or government entities or anything. Like they just don't have a reason for it. So they just immediately think like, okay, well – we're not like we're the victims here. That's it's just it's it's an interesting um it's an interesting peek into uh this archetype of our society. So William and Eve are brought into a room where they meet James Frain's character and it's just I really like James Frain as an actor. Um his accent in this episode, I think it's his normal accent, maybe I don't know. Um is so strangely intimidating. Like it, it gives him that sense of authority and he's so confident with what he's saying that it's just so like, it's just, it's very intimidating. Like he, he holds this power over people throughout this episode that I just, I really, I really enjoyed his performance here. So William asks why they're being held and Mr. Allendale, as he's credited, they never, like I said, he never, they never really say his name. He brushes the question aside and confirms that they've been married six years and that their daughters are eight years old. Um, and so at that moment, I like, like I'm, I'm not great at math, but, um, <laughs> I kind of thought that it was going, I don't know why I thought this, like, it's so dumb, but I thought that this was going to take on like a, well, you had sex out of wedlock thing. So that's why you're being detained. Like, it's just, it's because it's a weird detail. Um, just, I don't know. It's, it's strange to me. So William asks if they need an attorney. And like, I really liked this quick back and forth where, uh, Allendale's like, this is, this isn't really an attorney thing. And William says, this is America. Everything is an attorney thing. Um, so I like that. So Eve comes clean about Matheson Charter School, <laughs> which is so still so funny to me, but, um, like I just I, and and then when um like James Frain's character kind of goads her into it or kind of kind of lets her lets her roll with that and he, she tries to bribe him and I really like how the Martins as characters like their answer to everything is lawyers and money they don't see the situation as anything serious because they've never been in legal trouble before and not even that they can't fathom a situation where they could potentially slip through the cracks of the legal system because everything can be solved with their wealth. And it's just, it's again, that's a sense of entitlement. Like the word privilege is thrown around so much and it's come, become like a buzzword and everything. But like, this is a good depiction of people exercising their privilege or trying to exercise their pr privilege. Um, and it's just, it's a really interesting way to showcase that um, in the twilight zone. So, 
Um, they kind of get try to get more questions, but Allendale says like, well, let's best not. It's best not to discuss this in front of the girls, and that's when they bring in the kids. And so he mentions that government is inefficient and there was no reason to drag all of you there. So they're happy. They're like, okay, we're going to go. But Eve is still going to be detained for further evaluation. So that was an interesting kind of end of the act, I guess. So Eve is processed and she passes, well, uh, uh, she passes by auto mopping a floor, whistling a particularly haunting tune. And I don't know if that whistling is a reference to anything, but it's eerie nonetheless. Um, but I want to mention that Eve being processed is like, it's very impersonal, very dehumanizing and everything. Um, and I just really like the way that it, that it's, uh, showcased there. So Eve is in a room with dozens of detainees all dressed in the same orange jump, jumpsuit as if they're prisoners. And she finds in the crowd, Anna and now, okay. So I'm back and forth on this scene. Eve does the whole, oh my God, I didn't know they would take you to a place like this. And, and, uh, and sorry. And Anna calls her out on her BS. And here's a clip of their exchange. I am so sorry. I had no idea they would take you to a place like this. Yes. You did. You do. Where did you think they would take us to the Four Seasons? When it was just on the TV, you could turn it off or change the channel. I assumed they would deport you back to Mexico. I'm from Sacapa. It is in Guatemala. If they fail, tell me. What are the names of my children? When someone is a part of your family, do you know their names? So on one hand, I like the bluntness of it. Eve deserves to hear this. Like Anna just destroys her. And I, 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 I'm totally, she's, I'm totally there with her in this scene. On the other hand, like a lot of this season is just a bit heavy handed. And part of me wonders what the episode would be like if, if Anna wasn't in it, which maybe sounds bad, but like, what if we were left to make the still probably heavy handed, albeit, um, connection to immigration? If it was just Eve experiencing it, like if it, if the episode was just solely this, um, very affluent character experiencing, um, the dehumanizing kind of, um, situation she finds herself in without having the, Without, without having the, the kind of notion of immigration and deportation, and everything, um, directly like mirrored by her, uh, uh, her maid's, um, situation as well. I just think it could have been a more interesting, maybe a more interesting episode if we were left to make that connection and kind of see it from a completely different perspective. Um, but, uh, we didn't get that. So that's fine. So Anna says that they come from the same place and that she's known for a while. And I don't know. I, I don't know. It's so are they both from the alternate dimension? Like this isn't followed through or it isn't paid off really at all. Um, and it's where the episode kind of takes a strange turn. Like Anna leads Eve to a secret room where she meets Otto, her, who guides her to, idea i idea i can't remember how to pronounce her name um and it's just it's it takes such a strange turn like Otto tells eve to follow him and um he even says like you don't trust me only because i don't look like you but we're the same 
And I, I don't really understand that, honestly. Like, can he see their true forms? Do they have true forms? Um, I, or is he just speaking? I don't know. Yeah, I, I really, I'm at a loss there. It just, it felt out of place. Um, so he guides her to idea, idea. And like, he says, like, now you're going to think she's speaking English. Only people like us understand. So I guess that answers the question that he is one of them. So I, I don't know. So Eve meets idea and she says, it's so good to see you again, Eve. I see you don't remember who you are. And so I want to say first and foremost that this, this scene, I'll go ahead and play a clip. Okay. I'll go ahead and play a clip from this scene. Here's a clip from this scene of point of origin. The people here want to send us back. This is our home now. We love our home. We add to our home. We can't go back home. We're already here. This place is ours now, too. Not just theirs. So, at this moment, I got a real strong uh, vibe off the scene of um, the after hours from season one of the original series and also from the 1980s remake uh, or reboot. And frankly, it would, it would have been, I don't know. It could, I, maybe I'm going to put my foot in my mouth, but frankly, it would be kind of cool to see that episode specifically the after hours revisited in this new series. But, um, but I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if we really ever will, um, especially with just ten episode seasons, I they, I don't think they can afford to do riffs on original series episodes uh, multiple times, um, and I I don't think the after hours really rates high enough to to garner a a riff like the way that Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet did. So, Idea's voice I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but anyway, her voice distorts like Stephen Young's does in a travel a traveler. And Phil's does and and not all men. And honestly, at this point, um, that effect is just kind of overused and I'm kind of done with it. Like I, I feel like they don't necessarily need to keep doing that. So the line of dialogue where she says so many afraid to so many afraid to see if a blue sky was possible instead of the gray skies we lived under. I feel like the line instead of the gray skies we lived under, um, was added later, like in, in post, um, and I kind of wish that that was more ambiguous itself. Like, was that, it was that added line of instead of the gray skies we lived under even necessary? Because I kind of feel like that's holding our hand a little bit too much. Like I kind of, I kind of like the mystery of it. Like this whole idea of like these people from another dimension and like, we don't like, granted it's, it's, it's different enough or it's, it's, um, ambiguous enough that we still don't know anything about it really. But I just kind of like the idea that like to see if a blue sky was possible. I, I, I kind of like the idea of us leaving it there, but it's a minor quibble I have with the, with the episode there. So I will say, um, aside from nitpicking and everything that I am honestly relieved that this episode wasn't about aliens. <laughs> um, like the whole idea of alternate dimension pilgrims is fine by me. Um, but for now, I'm kind of just over aliens in the in this new Twilight Zone series. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm I'm glad it didn't go that route. So Idea tells Eve that they want to send them all back, but this is our home now, which I don't know. Okay, this is going to be kind of tricky, but I kind of think that in the grand scheme of things, this episode is presenting the story, its story about how we should just, you know, like share the land with people. Like it's not like the whole idea of like this land is your land, this land is my land, all that. Um, Like I feel like that is what the episode is about, like coexisting with people, like not being intolerant of other people's, um, you know, uh, don't gatekeep the the country. So um, I don't know. I, I feel like that's what it's kind of getting at. But I don't know, though, because the tone that Idea has in the scene where she says that um, this is our home now, it's not not it's our home now, too. Um, it feels just vaguely threatening. Like, I don't know. There's something to be said about them living in peace in our dimension and prospering as well. Like maybe that's the underlying message that the government entity doesn't want Eve in their dimension simply because she is prospering despite not belonging in our dimension, not belonging in, in quotes. Um, but I just feel like the kind of idea of like, okay, well this is our, our home too just feels kind of weirdly threatening in, in, in a sense. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading it. Maybe I'm off base, but, uh, or maybe I'm not clear enough in, in my, uh, I don't even know if I'd say criticism of it, but it just feels kind of off. So I don't know. So anyway, I, I kind of feel like there's this something of an inconsistency in the subtext of this episode. So like I said, this is going to be tricky. So Eve doesn't remember who she is or where she came from. She has nightmares of her past life in the other dimension as a little girl who is living desperately in a world with gray skies. Um, maybe there was a nuclear holocaust there. Maybe. I, I don't know. But as an allegory for immigration and xenophobia and deportation and everything, is it making the point that it thinks it's making? Because... I think there's a read of the episode where Eve is an immigrant who has assimilated so fully into her new home's culture that she doesn't even know who she is or where she came from. And isn't that like kind of a mixed message? Like, shouldn't that be a darker and more punishing backstory? Um, like she sacrificed who she is to succeed in a new world and by forsaking her identity, she lost what made her who she is. Um, and maybe that's secretly the point of the episode, but if it is, it's just not illustrated clearly. And frankly, I think that that's a more interesting story path to take the character down because I think that that's, that idea of an identity crisis is more compelling than the, um, class system swap kind of story we get. Maybe not even swap, but inversion, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so there's, the government people find them and Eve is strapped to a device and she, Jennifer Goodwin becomes more perturbed and stern with Allendale in this. And I kind of feel like that doesn't really fit well. Like, I don't know. She's kind of, I don't know. There, there's a, there's a line she says early. That's doesn't really mesh well with me. Like, well, I like it. It kind of feels like a, a quip when that character shouldn't be making quips. I don't remember the exact line um, offhand, but it just it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So at this moment, I feel like there is kind of an issue with the, with the narrative or the, or the, um, the way that the, the, 
the narrative is told through the visuals. So I think that there's supposed to be a montage of her in a cell. Um, it's kind of confusing because we see her strapped to the device and then doing jumping jacks in her cell. But we don't see Allendale use the device or anything for like a couple of scenes. It kind of alternates back and forth. So I think we're supposed to think that time is passing, like that there's that there have been days that have passed where she's strapped to the device and he's asking her questions that she's not answering. Cut to her and herself for like a night and then the next day she's in it. But I didn't get the sense that there was any passage of time like um, it feels like the questions are happening at the same time. So I don't, I don't get the impression that the time is passing at all and just made it kind of confusing for me. So Allendale asks Eve questions about alternate dimensions. And I like James Frain here. Like he's, he's very intimidating. Like I said, and he's very in control. Like he's very, um, he's just very, I've used this word before, but he's very commanding in his role here. Like he's very much just focused on, you know, getting the answers, but he's intimidating. He's not, necessarily stressed or anything he's he's got this cockiness to him that he's going to get the answers that he needs um yeah so they put the headset on her and obviously it's the design from the faces in eye of the beholder which i thought was kind of cool um and that's when allendale gives us this exposition exposition dump explaining pilgrims from another dimension that came to ours looking for a better life and something about it just rings kind of false to me. Like he mentions that the pilgrims were looking for a better life. And I feel like someone who is in his position, like the, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm being, I don't I don't know what, what, what I'm trying to say here, but I feel like someone in his position who is actively seeking out these pilgrims to, with the express purpose of taking their lives away and taking them away from you know, their life essentially. Um, I kind of feel like there would be, there would have to be some kind of weird justification for that. Like, like I feel like he wouldn't admit that the pilgrims were looking for a better life because in those circumstances, it feels like there's like some mental gymnastics that have to be done to justify, frankly, abhorrent behavior. Like the idea of like separating families at the border and putting them in cages and everything like that's, I mean, that's horrific behavior. And I don't think that people that are doing that or like, like people who are, who make it their job to, you know, take people from their homes and, and deport them for being illegal immigrants and everything. I don't think they're doing that thinking like, oh, they just came here for a better life. Like it's, it's a weird kind of contrast to, to the actions versus like the statements of it. I just feel like it's, I feel like there's, more mental hoops that have to be done because I think that in order to do something like that, people have to convince themselves that they're, uh, that they're in the right. And like by admitting that these, that these individuals are searching for a better life is kind of, kind of not conducive to, um, to, to justifying their behavior. So I don't know. Anyway, so Eve, like he, he does something, uh, Allendale does something. I think he like puts something in her back. Um, and Eve passes out and wakes up and is being discharged. And, um, I kind of wonder, like this felt like it was, it was a dream sequence and it kind of felt like maybe, maybe it was more her happy place. Um, but I think that it's kind of confirmed later that it's really just, um, a, t- a tactic to get the truth. So, uh, the doctor tells her your test came back negative conclusively and, um, 
like, I don't know. Again, I just kind of wondered if it was supposed to be like a dream sequence or an implant. Um, but I think it's, you know, obviously it's revealed later that it's a ploy. But um, <laughs> there's a cute callback to the Grubhub thing because uh, the girls say that they made her dinner using Grubhub. <laughs> Um, and I don't know if, I don't know if Grubhub is supposed to be like a sponsor of the season or something, but I thought that was an, it's an interesting kind of thing. It's, it's a cute callback. Um, so at this point, Eve confides in William and that's when Allendale gets his confirmation. Like he, um, like she talks about how, um, how they were showing her, her nightmares and she didn't understand, she can't understand how they can show her her nightmares. And that was, that's what makes her think that maybe she is this other, uh, from this other dimension. And there's a, I think there, I think at this point there's a close up of a doll cause it's flashing back to, to the kind of gray world. Um, and I want to, I don't remember, I don't know if it's a talkie teen, a doll or not, but it may be. Um, and again, I have to say the flashes to the other dimension in like black and white look really good. Um, I, I really like that. So Eve realizing the truth, uh, just as, um, William morphs into Allendale and says like, Oh, I found you or whatever. Um, really freaky, really cool. I, I, I like the, the way that that scene was handled. So, we kind of jump back to the facility and Eve is back in her cell and she hears a knock at the door. I think it's auto, but I can't really tell. Um, it says they're saying you have money. And so this is where the episode kind of transitions and goes the full like coyote routes. Um, so she's going to be smuggled out of the facility and, and be, you know, uh, freed. And so Eve tells, at this point, Eve tells, tells him that Anna has to come too. And I feel like this, this shows growth for Eve, I think. She's gained perspective. She's gained empathy and everything. So she wants to, you know, save Anna as well. And I, I like that. I, I like that piece of characterization. So, uh, I guess later, I think that there was a cut. Um, the doctor opens the door, has her get in a car with a dead body. Not very glamorous or anything. She's very, yeah, like she kind of turns up her nose at it, but she does it. Uh, so the doctor rolls the car down the hall, whistling that creepy melody again. Or, uh, yeah, so there's a woman who stops him and wants to poke the dead bodies, I think. Like, it's weird. It's so weird. I, I like that. I just didn't get, I thought that that was kind of weird. Um, like cause she kind of points to, um, Eve's like Eve and like, she, like she's going to like poke and prod at, at a dead body. And it's just weird. And the doctor, <laughs> the doctor says, uh, if you're, if you need to do that, um, you'll want to put gloves on because they all died shitting blood. And I don't know, just the way that he has this creepy smile um, when he says it, like the, his read of the line, they all died shitting blood, is like so gleeful and weird. Um, and in my notes, I have that quote and I have, they all died shitting blood and I put a little smiley emoticon next to it. Um, so yeah, anyway, so she gets, uh, Eve is smuggled back into kind of gen pop in, in a sense and I think at this point, she, yeah, she reunites with Anna and there are a few steps to the escape. And this kind of makes the episode feel kind of long. Um, so like he's saying like, okay, well, you, you know, you need to use the code for the door. It's ten fifteen. Uh, you have to run through the yard to the fence. You need to really like 
like run like hell um and all this is we're seeing this as he's describing it so there's some uh economic use of time here but there's a shot of the two guards eating ice cream cones that seems that seemed weird and out of place but i think that that signals that like okay the ice cream truck is involved in it like he's the ice cream truck and ice cream truck drivers is in on it um so that, that's fine, I guess, but it just seemed kind of goofy. So they make it to the driver on the main road, and it's the ice cream truck. And Anna doesn't trust it, and she's, so she bails. And she says she's done this before. She knows not to take risks, and uh, she leaves. So And Eve gets into the truck. Um, and I don't know. That's the last we see of Anna, and we're left, like, what happened to her? I don't know what happened to her. I don't, like, there's no resolution to that, and I feel like that is... Uh, I feel like that doesn't that makes it not really work for me that well. Um so I, I don't know. And it just felt also just kind of I did I didn't follow along with Anna's rationale that she can't like she, since she's done this before, she can't like she knows not to trust people. But I guess she was getting a bad vibe off of the truck and it's it's right. Like she was right in this, but I didn't really follow the steps of her to do that. It, it felt more like she was she was um, servicing the plot of the episode rather than like the character actually having legitimate reasons for not trusting it. So I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's whatever. Um, so this is the part where we get like a very clear shot of the ice cream truck and Mr. Dingle's ice cream, uh, whatever the brand, like the full title is, but it's Mr. Dingle's uh, reference to Mr. Dingle, the strong from season two of the original series. Um, Twilight Zone. And yeah, so Eve gets back home. She runs inside and William doesn't want her there because she's not herself anymore. She's one of them. And it's a strange turn. Um, I, cause she's saying like, I need, like, we need to go right now. Um, and like I said, it's a strange turn. My rationale for it is that maybe in the interim, the truth has come out about the alternate dimensions and Americans as a whole, including William, just instinctively mistrust them. Um, maybe that's what they're going for there because it's a weird – it's a very, it's a very, very uh, sharp turn for William to just disown Eve entirely. Or maybe like another read of that is that maybe it's just that William doesn't want to put his family on the run. Like he values his status in life more than his marriage and, and more than Eve. Um, but again, I don't think the episode communicates it, uh, well enough there. So Allendale arrives and this happens. I'll play a clip here from, uh, this moment in the episode. Get out of my home. No. You leave mine. No. <laughs> this is my home. This is my home. I'm home. And I don't know. I, I like James Frain's read of the line that no, you get out of my like it's very it's almost cartoonish in terms of its villainy. But it works. I don't know. He sells it well. I, I kind of like it. So the episode ends with Eve being dragged, kicking and screaming into the black SUV, yelling for help from onlookers who just stare and do nothing. It's a pretty powerful statement, I guess. And it's it's just an interesting uh, viewpoint because, 
from the perspective of the onlookers, she is kind of a she's an outsider. She's she's an illegal immigrant. She's been an illegal immigrant here. And also, I kind of wonder if because the women that she that she was uh, talking about Anna to early in the episode are part of the onlookers, and I kind of wonder if that's the connection that they're making that they are that they are all. Uh, from the alternate dimension and they're not saying anything because they want to preserve their way of life and if that means that one of their own or one of the people that are like them gets taken away and their life completely shattered but they can preserve theirs maybe that's why they don't say anything or do anything to help i don't know that's a stretch because i feel like i feel like the episode doesn't really stick its landing in terms of message um quite that well in this episode um but overall i think the episode despite some faults here and there it does a solid job of putting the audience into the perspective of eve and switching the theme of immigration and xenophobia around because it is um because like the episode starts with a guatemalan housekeeper being taken away by what appear to be immigration officers and it ends with a white affluent woman experiencing the same thing and it's an interesting way to kind of put the audience into the perspective of of eve and i think that that's one of the things that this uh, that this season as a whole has really excelled at is taking a um taking a frankly taking a minority perspective uh and and putting the audience into that perspective um i think that's been one of the strengths of the season as a whole and it's no different here but like I said, I just don't think it really uh, came together at the end the way that um, I would have liked it to. So we get Peel's closing narration where he says that we're all immigrants from somewhere. Um, here's his closing narration. We are all immigrants from somewhere, be it another city, another country, or another dimension. As a child, Eve Martin escaped to what should have been a better world, a world where the skies are blue. But now those skies have darkened and the land below them is a place she is no longer welcome. For Eve Martin, there is no passport to be stamped for passage. Out of the Twilight Zone. And it's good. Um, I, I like his closing narration here. It kind of ties everything together in a way that the narrative itself couldn't really reconcile it um, thematically, I don't think. But overall, it was a it was a strong enough finish. Uh, we see him eating an ice cream cone, and I thought that was pretty funny. Um, it was kind of kind of weird. Um, also, just a minor nitpick, but like he, it feels like his like that that's a kind of a green screen shot. Like he's in inserted into it, and it was filmed separately. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't really bring that up or nitpick that point, but it did. It reminded me of what I've seen of. Uh, vaguely what i've seen of uh the uh 2002 series with forrest whitaker like they did the uh, the episodes that i saw like he was kind of just (laughs) very sloppily paced into the episodes um for his opening narration and i kind of feel like they did that here it's i mean it's 2019 like the visual effects look a lot better but it just still just felt a little a little strange to me or a little off so um yeah so overall that's that's point of origin um i thought it was okay it's kind of a middle of the road episode for me um in the context of the season as a whole um it was it was okay 
but uh, I feel like there are strengths and we, we there are strengths and we oh my god there are strengths and weaknesses throughout the episode um, and where there are strengths uh, is where the episode kind of really works the best which is the definition of a strength um, so uh, yeah that's point of origin next on the podcast I'm going to be reviewing uh, on the main feed which is the same feed but you know it's the main episodes um, I'm going to be reviewing the Rip Van Winkle caper and then um, I'm going to move right along to the next bonus episode too. Um, the next episode from the new series is the blue scorpion, which I'm really excited about because peek behind the curtain. I've, I've broken my rule. Um, uh, since I've fallen behind on these bonus reviews, I went ahead and watched all the episodes and, uh, I'm very excited to talk about these last two episodes. Um, very good stuff there and very interesting stuff that will, um, be fun to review. So yeah, I'm still hoping that I can get Tiny on for a season wrap-up episode. But yeah, uh, those are coming. And then right after that, Black Mirror season five. Um, so yeah, so that'll do it for this episode of Anthology. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, let me know what you thought of Point of Origin and my reviews and everything. And uh, I'll see you next time. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com slash awards for 2022 details.